When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the first pieces of Arizona trivia you learn is probably the five C's. Cotton, cattle, climate, copper, and citrus. These have been driving forces of Arizona's economy for generations. Flora and fauna and industries that do very well in our arid desert. While the five C's won't become the five C's and an O, there is another overlooked product that has nonetheless taken root here, olives. While we're not the beautiful Greek, Spanish, or Italian countryside that you might imagine when thinking of olives, their trees grow very well here. And this piqued one listener's interest when they submitted this question. I hear you guys can grow olives here. Isn't it too hot? How is that even possible? That is a valid question. After all, Arizona doesn't immediately give off an agricultural vibe. But olives have been growing in Arizona before we were even a state. Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm producer Amanda Luberto, and today I'm diving into the very briny world of olives to explore how they grow in our dry air and how a family farm in the East Valley has made them famous. I am a self-proclaimed olive lover. I always have been. My parents tell this story that a babysitter once let me eat a whole jar of olives when I was five years old. And while that probably wasn't very good for my developing body, it cemented a love for the salty treat. I understand where our listener is coming from. I also wouldn't have associated Arizona with olives because of the heat. But apparently it's actually perfect. Tanya Quist from the University of Arizona tells me more. He assessed the climate in the Mediterranean and thought that the you know, average temperature, maybe the average precipitation, annual precipitation was similar, and then extrapolated that those plants would do well here. As it turns out, plants in the Mediterranean receive most of that precipitation in the winter, whereas we receive most of our precipitation in the summer. And you'd think, you know, the average precipitation would be, it's like the plants can't distinguish it. But in fact, those plants do better when they receive moisture during a warm season or during a cool season. So um, I think they're generally very well adapted, that they're drought tolerant. They also are able to tolerate the extreme cold temperatures that we have in the low desert. And obviously, they're pretty well adapted to those super high temperatures, too, um, as well as high light. So a lot of those big environmental factors that generally dictate whether a plant can survive or not are pretty similar in those Um, here and in the Mediterranean where the olives originate. That he that Tanya is referring to is Dr. Robert Forbes. 
He was the first head of the Agricultural Experiment Station on U of A's campus in the 1890s. The mission was to deduce what types of plants and crops would grow the best in certain areas of the country. For perspective, Tanya said that he was doing this about a century before the field of ecology was even an established thing. The fact that he had some idea that what happened in other places in the world could be replicated here, you know, that we didn't even know that that was a similar, like, ecological system. According to a speech he made in 1934, Dr. Forbes planted the olive trees on the University of Arizona campus in 1895 using trees from Santa Barbara. The ones that were planted in front of the girls' dormitories at the time, he claimed to have planted a little later. Tanya is currently the director of the university's Campus Arboretum. An arboretum is a collection of woody plants that are set aside for research and education. And in this case, the Campus Arboretum is an arboretum collection of trees and shrubs that are housed on the main campus, like within the university grounds. So the idea is that it provides support for educating people about arid landscapes, what trees and what shrubs are appropriate here. And because it's an, a cooperative extension program, the idea is that we are extending university expertise and research out into the community and that we're, we're supporting research, not just in Arizona, but throughout the world. The U of A is a land-grant school, meaning the school's goals are research, education, and outreach. And the outreach component essentially means that Our research has to be relevant in solving problems to the state of Arizona, and our education has to be extended out. So because we're a land-grant school, our research programs in the early years focused on a problem uh, for the state. In fact, we weren't even a state, we were a territory, and that was, what are we going to grow here? How are we going to have like an agricultural base for our economy? So the first faculty members of the U of A, including Dr. Forbes, were tasked with finding and researching plants of potential economic value. Greenery that would grow well here and sprout into something worth selling. They collected plants from all around the world and brought them back to the Arboretum to study. By planting them around campus, faculty members were able to study things like how these plants did in our harsh climates and what responded well with our soil. The successful ones were introduced into trade as a commodity crop. Going back to the five C's, citrus and cotton became clear winners. But olives from Italy, Spain, and California also thrived here. Not only was it Dr. Forbes's quest to find what crops would be financially valuable to trade here in Arizona, but he wanted to create a beautiful campus that was just opening its doors in 1891. He also recognized that planting trees is something that's like more nourishing for the community than just providing food. Um, So he actually lined out the perimeter, the streets surrounding the campus in rows that would be typical of like a formal garden in, in Europe. So they weren't just, you know, like a research plot where you just scatter plants throughout. It was like very formal arrangement of trees surrounding the campus. Now the question of how many types of olives are grown on the U of A campus is a little up for debate. One document indicated 12 varieties. 
However, the campus only has four in their database. There are some non-fruiting cultivations as well, so she estimates the variety of trees is close to 10. So you might be thinking the same thing I did when I was talking with Tanya. Can I eat the pitted fruit they grow? Can I walk around the Tucson campus and snack on some fresh olives? Technically, yes. Like I said, not all of the trees produce fruit. This is because the pollen can be highly allergenic. But the ones that do are definitely edible. To an untrained eye, you might not know which ones are ripe or ready to eat, though. And if you pick the wrong one, like Tanya did when she first got here from Canada, it can be a bitter surprise. For me to see an olive tree was like, I don't know, it was like so exotic and so amazing. And I mean, they even looked like you could eat them right off the tree. They looked like beautiful grapes, which I did. <laughs> and learned that they're obviously like astringent, it like dries out your mouth. It's so horrible. The olive trees on the University of Arizona campus are among some of the oldest trees in all of Tucson. Dr. Forbes didn't quite outlive his plants, but he did live a robust 103 years and continued to be involved in the ecology and research until his final days. Even in the valley, olive trees are grouped into some of the oldest trees that are planted here, particularly in Scottsdale. My name is Bill Murphy and I am the assistant city manager here at the city of Scottsdale. So we have some of the original olives that Winfield Scott planted here, um, and they are on Drinkwater Boulevard between 2nd Street and Osborne to the south. And we have also some that are on 2nd Street uh, as you come west of Drinkwater Boulevard, right in front of the Scottsdale Center for the Arts. Winfield Scott is the founder and namesake of Scottsdale, and in 1896, he had the same idea as Dr. Forbes. He planted olive trees in Arizona. So the history of the olives that the chaplain Winfield Scott started back in 1896 when he bought 640 acres of land, which would be what is considered Old Town right now. And he was growing citrus uh, as well as just a regular farm with various other things. He used the olives for as a windbreak around that grove of the, uh, the uh, orange trees. And so that those trees that we, I just described to you where they're at, those are the original trees that he planted many, many years ago. These trees were planted to protect the orange trees in Scottsdale, sort of like an edible fence. But not long after they were planted in the late 1890s, a drought wiped out the orange trees. The mighty olive, though, stood strong. One olive tree in particular is distinctly special. There is one of the trees we have marked on 2nd Street, uh, the area I mentioned that's just west of Drinkwater, as a witness tree. And that was uh, given to us on Arbor Day a few years ago. Uh, by the Arizona Community Tree Council. And what is a witness tree? The uh, Arbor Day Foundation came up with the trees that were over 100 years old that would be trees that if they could actually speak to us, they would actually be able to tell you what went on. So as I mentioned to you, these trees initially were planted in 1896. So you figure those are some very small little trees and they were watered and cured. And so 
here we are in 2022, quite a while ago. And so um, to still have them viable and still being, uh, you know, doing well out there in the, in the landscape is kind of an accomplishment. Essentially, it's a tree that's been witness to our history. It's a witness tree. Bill told me that there are some trees up north that are also designated as witness trees as well. And each year on Arbor Day, you can submit a tree down at the state capitol to be an official witness tree. We're going to take a short break. Hello, Valley 101 listeners. Do you have questions about Phoenix or our state? Maybe you're new to the Valley and want a better understanding of why things are the way they are here. We want to hear from you. Submit your questions to valley101 at azcentral.com. And don't forget to download the AZ Central app and stay up to date on all the news in our state. Now back to the episode. Now, when talking about olives in Arizona, I'm sure many longtime residents have been screaming at their podcast app, When is she going to talk about the Queen Creek Olive Mill? And look, you'd be right. This podcast wouldn't be complete without mentioning the only producer of extra virgin olive oil in the whole state. My name is John Rea, and I'm the director of marketing. John is the director of marketing at the Queen Creek Olive Mill, but he is also the youngest member of the Rea family who owned the mill. The story starts back about 20 years ago. My parents moved here from Detroit. My dad was in the automotive industry and he wanted to do something different in his life. And he came to visit Arizona with my with my mom and they saw that there was a lot of olive trees growing actually in Old Town Scottsdale. And that's what made them realize that olive trees can grow well here. The same olive trees that Bill told us about earlier. Being from a very Italian background, uh, my dad loves olive oil, already knew everything about it. His father was always was doing things in the garden and growing things, had a green thumb. And so my dad and my mom kind of kept that in their mind that olives grow here really well. And they went back to Detroit. And the story is that I wasn't born yet, but the story is that they were talking one night in, a, in an old Irish bar and said, you know what, why don't we go to Arizona and grow olive trees and see what we can do with that. And a few months later, they, they did that. They moved when my mom was pregnant with me and was kind of searching around a good spot to grow these olive trees uh, in the valley area um, and eventually landed on Queen Creek. The rest from there is history. Queen Creek is still a developing area of the greater valley, but back then, even more so. It was an easy spot to grab 100 acres of land to start growing olives on. Because of these olive trees, unlike the ones in Tucson or Scottsdale, were specifically made for growing and harvesting fruit, Harry Rea, the owner of the olive mill and John's father, experimented with different types of tree until landing on what they grow now. So we landed on Koroniki, which is a Greek variety, and Arbisana, which is a Spanish variety. And we heavily plant those ones. Those are our newest grove, our baby grove is what we call it. We planted about two and a half years ago, so it should start yielding um, fruit in the next year or so. Um, that we'll be able to mill into olive oil here. Because the mill is far from central Phoenix, about 45 minutes east, John said that customers would finish their shopping and ask where a good place for lunch is. So the Rea family opened a restaurant on their mill using their own products as well as some others from local vendors. Currently, the mill is a little over 50 acres instead of 100, 
but it boasts a full-service restaurant, a market to buy their products, a spa, and multiple event spaces for private parties and even weddings. And when asking John what kinds of olive products they sell, it's reminiscent of Bubba listing off shrimps in Forrest Gump. There's um, shrimp kebabs, shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pan-fried, deep-fried, stir-fried. There's pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, coconut shrimp. They've got olives, olive oil, stuffed olives, flavored olive oils, olive spreads, olive oil lotion, etc., etc., If it can contain olives or olive oil, chances are the Queen Creek Olive Mill has made it for you. So what are the differences between types of olive oils? Should I be able to tell my robusts from my delicates? People who taste and define types of oils are called sommeliers, just like in wine. They're able to differentiate the flavor profiles and identify what you should use for which dishes. We have three profiles, which is delicate, balanced, and robust. So our delicate will be more of a buttery, kind of softer flavor, our profile, whereas the balance will be kind of a mix between the, it's actually exactly a mix between the delicate and the robust, and I'll explain what the robust is. That's a, it's a heartier, it's more pungent, uh, you'll taste it more. It's, it's not spice, but you'll think it might be spice uh, when you get it in your throat. Robust is generally what is used for High-quality chefs, if they want a really good olive oil, they'll go for a more robust olive oil. It generally has more polyphenols and um, more health attributes to it, I guess you'd say. And then where the the delicate can be even just a replacement for like butter or something. For the flavored olive oils, there are three methods. Cold-pressed, infusion, and co-pressed. For co-pressed oils, they put the flavor agent, let's use jalapenos for example, in with the olives and press it into the machine together. For infusions, similar to a tea, they let the flavors soak in the oil. And for cold press, they take the oil, let's use oil from a lemon, for example, and mix it in with the olive oil. The different methods allow for the different flavors to really shine. When is like olive harvest? It depends on the year, obviously, but it usually will be mid-November to uh, January-ish, early January. Okay. Um, at some point in that in that range. Uh, now we're a little bit later than California because of the weather. Uh, we have to wait until the weather's right and like there's no rain. Sometimes we have to get delayed because if there's some rain that happens, we can't go through with our uh, machine. John walked me out to one of their newer groves to show me around the baby grove, as he referred to it earlier. The trees were planted in rows, like you'd imagine any crop. And if you got close enough to the leaves, you could start to see the olives growing. The grove has about four and a half thousand trees, and it takes about two weeks to harvest all of the fruits. And for the record, when I say fruit, I mean olives. Something that visitors of the Queen Creek Olive Mill can do is take a tour of the grounds. Now, for the protection of the olives, you can't go into the groves exactly, but they'll show you around some of the grounds walk you through the process of crushing up the whole olive to extract the oils, and even do a tasting class on some of their more popular cellars. So what do you thought? Was it um, peppery? I think or when you swallow it, it feels like it. When, when you swallow it, I think it feels a little peppery. Yeah. But, but I feel like it was a little grassy. I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like a mix. I don't know. Well, I don't think Arizona will be adding an O to our five C's 
Olives have claimed their own robust history in our state. Olive trees have been blossoming here in Arizona before Arizona was named Arizona. They're easy to access, and with the mill, they're also easy to enjoy. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Valley 101. Are you a fan of olives too? Let us know on Twitter at AZC Podcasts. And if this episode has influenced you to maybe plant an olive tree of your own, Valley 101 suggests doing some research beforehand. Some trees are prohibited because they're highly allergenic. And all three of my guests warned me that caring for an olive tree is not an easy task. They produce a lot of fruit and they fall easily and it can be very messy. If you have questions about Metro Phoenix, please submit them to our podcast by visiting valley101.azcentral.com. If you're a fan of the show, please share it with a friend and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm producer Amanda Liberto. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next week. Music